all over the world, Christians pray the Lord's Prayer, including the phrase, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's meant by thy kingdom come? When we pray thy kingdom come, we're actually praying for Jesus' second coming to bring God's rule here finally on earth. The Lord will establish his kingdom at his second coming. It's important in the meantime not to be distracted. It's the church's mission to faithfully share the good news of the gospel in the remaining times of the Gentiles before the church age winds up. What? You imagine that church history would just go on and on endlessly hundreds of years from now? 500 years from now and so forth? No. God has a redemptive agenda. And Bible prophecy points to the fact that God will soon fulfill all of his covenants and purposes with the nation of Israel. The Jerusalem Channel is made with the support of you, our viewers. Thank you for watching. Shalom, I'm Christine Darg. We have to be so careful in these days of gospel opportunity. The nations still have an opportunity to receive salvation. Soon, God will finish his gospel program in the nations. And then to prove his faithfulness, he will redeem the nation of Israel. The church can't bring the kingdom of God on earth. Only Jesus can establish the kingdom and rule the world from the throne of his father David at his second coming for a thousand years. Presently, the church is largely preoccupied with the COVID pandemic. But Jesus warned that pestilences would be just one of the many end time signs as only the beginning of birth pains prior to his second coming. In Matthew 24, he said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And he said, there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. So the church mustn't get distracted with social justice or trying to clean up the environment. These issues are important to politicians, but they're not the main focus of the Great Commission. Evangelism is to be our focus, making disciples. The reason many misguided pastors and churches are trying to bring the kingdom on earth without the physical return of Jesus is that they have simply ignored the importance of Bible prophecy. They don't anticipate the culmination of history as prophesied in the Bible. Prophecies of the restoration of the Messianic kingdom to Israel are yet to be fulfilled even though Messiah has already come. The Messianic kingdom was postponed because of Israel's rejection of the Messiah, but the prophecies concerning the Messianic kingdom will all be fulfilled at Jesus' second coming in the interim. God introduced the church age, which was a mystery hidden in God, 
but all the prophecies in the Hebrew Bible of the kingdom left open the possibility of the church age in the gap between the Lord's first and second comings. So the kingdom of God has been in a state of postponement for nearly 2,000 years while Jesus has been building and gathering his church from the nations. And following the completion of the church, when the church will be caught away in the rapture, the opportunity to receive the kingdom will be given again to the regathered nation of Israel. And this time, Israel will receive the Lord, albeit it will be after a brief period of deception and betrayal by the coming Antichrist. But Israel will recover. Israel will be protected. And Israel will eventually welcome the Lord. This is because the Holy Spirit will be outpoured and a fountain will be opened in Jerusalem, says Zechariah chapter 13. And then the kingdom will come. So God wants the church to understand these extraordinary times. He wants the church to know that Israel is the key to his end time plan. Certainly we believers pray for great awakenings and revivals to save millions of souls. We've always prayed and believed for great miracles and harvests of souls. For we know God's word says he's not willing for any to perish, but that all should come to repentance. While there will always be pockets of revival, whenever the gospel is truly preached, nevertheless, the Word of God also plainly says that the last days will be characterized by apostasy, a great falling away from the truth. Descriptions of the church age in the last days, such as we find in 2 Timothy chapter 3, don't describe a utopian world but a world of great evil. In that passage, Paul prophesied, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. He said men are going to be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, disobedient to parents, unholy, without self-control. They'll be brutal, haters of good, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God, and so on and so forth. But during the great tribulation, after the church age, there is going to be a great revival. According to Revelation chapter 7, that chapter describes the greatest revival ever. In this chapter, we meet 12,000 Jews and Israelites from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Altogether, 144,000 evangelists. They will be sealed and protected to preach the gospel and they will produce a harvest of souls too big to number. And these 144,000 evangelists will fulfill God's covenant vision for Israel as stated in Psalm 67, one of my favorites and certainly a theme of our ministry. It says, God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. Why? So the Jews can keep all the blessings to themselves? No. God be gracious to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us that thy way may be known on the earth, thy salvation among all nations. So Israel will fulfill its purpose and will be a light to the nations in the midst of the end time great tribulation. And as prophesied in Luke 2.32, Jesus will be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and 
the glory of Israel. This revival during the Great Tribulation will be greater than any previous revival in church history. You see, God in His love and mercy will save millions of people in a relatively short time during the Great Tribulation, which eschatologists say will be seven years, based upon prophecies in Daniel chapter 9 and verses 24 to 27. The church has always been identified as a little flock, but during the Great Tribulation, there's going to be a great harvest of souls. And furthermore, in Revelation chapter 7, after the sealing of the 144,000 evangelists from Israel's 12 tribes, the Apostle John said he beheld a great multitude which no one could number from every nation and all tribes standing before the throne and before the Lamb, the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. And he heard them cry with a loud voice, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And these people are identified as the ones who come out of the great tribulation. Now, as Bible believers, we have to see history moving in this direction. This year, due to COVID restrictions during Holy Week, the Church of England had suggested that Christians might want to perform at home a ritual that echoed the Jewish Seder. That's the annual meal shared by Jewish people during the Passover festival. Each element on the table symbolizes part of the story of Israel's liberation from slavery as recorded in the book of Exodus. As I said, due to COVID restrictions, the church had posted on social media an idea for worship at home, calling on families to gather at the table and to enact something like a Passover meal. And since the Last Supper of Jesus was a Jewish Seder, and since he turned that Seder into a memorial of his death, until he returns, the Church of England's suggestion for Christians to enact such a meal was certainly not out of order. But tragically, the Church of England timidly backtracked its advice for a symbolic meal during Holy Week. This is because certain priests and rabbis accused the Church of what they called misappropriating a Jewish tradition. According to an article in London's Telegraph newspaper, the Church of England subsequently withdrew the guidance for the symbolic meal following criticism that their idea bore striking similarities to the Jewish Passover Seders. Well, what an irony. The reason why their idea bore striking similarities is that Jesus' Last Supper was a Passover Seder. The Church of England went so far as to apologize for having appropriated Jewish tradition. I want to say very clearly that we Christians are not trying to culturally appropriate Jewish holidays. Some Jewish people do become concerned when they hear about Christian believers honoring the Shabbat or celebrating Passover or other Jewish holidays such as the Feast of Tabernacles. However, this trend is not something to be feared. As Christians learn to celebrate the Levitical holidays, which are biblical, we in turn strengthen our Judeo-Christian heritage. And that's increasingly important to combat anti-Semitism. So I was glad to read an article in Britain's 
Prophecy Today magazine that rebuked the Church of England's apology. In fact, the apology exposed the dreadful confusion over Israel that still exists within Christianity. The Prophecy Today article quoted the distinguished author and theologian Edith Schaefer saying Christianity is Jewish. The gospel we preach is entirely Jewish. Christians believe Jesus is the Jewish Messiah who died for the sins of all who put their trust in his redeeming blood. And we believe that he was crucified in perfect fulfillment of the Jewish prophecies, which could have only taken place during the Passover festival. The Israelites in Egypt were freed from slavery through the blood of a sacrificed lamb. And the lamb's blood was smeared on the lentils and door frames of their homes for protection from the death angel. And likewise, Christians believe the cross of the Messiah is the door to eternal life for all who appropriate the blood of the Lamb of God that was sacrificed upon the wooden altar of the cross. As Revelation chapter 5 and verse 9 says concerning Jesus, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. As I pointed out many times over the years, all the confusion, denial, mix-up, and anti-Semitism about Israel within institutional Christianity resulted from the tragic mistake when church leaders decided to divorce the church from its foundational Hebraic roots. To deliberately distance the church from its Hebraic roots is classic anti-Semitism and inflicts untold damage on Jewish-Christian relationships. Christianity is historically and spiritually a Jewish religion. The founders of the early church were all Jews, including, of course, Jesus himself, who was from the tribe of Judah. We Christians owe a great debt of gratitude to the Jewish people. In fact, in Romans chapter 11, the Apostle Paul reminded the former Gentile believers that by God's grace, they had been grafted into God's family tree. And Paul reminded the Romans, you do not support the root. The root supports you. Paul warned that breaking away from our undeniable Hebraic roots would result in forfeiting the tree's life-giving sap, so important for healthy growth. But thankfully, not every rabbi was against the Church of England's Holy Week project. In fact, a rabbi who spoke out in favor of the project said that if Jewish liturgy is removed from Christianity, it would be like taking the very soul of Christianity. In fact, the rabbi said, Christianity and Judaism are different branches on the same family tree. And that's, of course, exactly what the Apostle Paul, a great rabbi, stated in Romans chapter 11. For centuries, many parts of the Christian world tragically rejected Jews, and this only perpetuated anti-Semitism. Jews were subjected to prejudice, restrictions, violence, the Crusades, the Spanish Inquisition, pogroms, and ultimately the unspeakable horrors of the Holocaust. But finally, in the second half of the last century, many Christian leaders began to reject replacement theology. So-called replacement theology 
falsely claims that the church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people. The Catholic Church acknowledged past persecution of the Jewish people and started to apologize for church doctrine rooted in anti-Semitism. Much progress has been made, but nevertheless, a sign of the soon return of the Lord is the re-emergence of anti-Semitism again. Actually, realistically, due to the powers of darkness currently operating in the world, anti-Semitism will never go away until the kingdom comes and Jesus returns to rule this world, as Psalm 2 declares, with a rod of iron. The shocking resurgence of anti-Semitism in Europe is at its highest level since the time immediately before the Holocaust. It's very troubling that a quarter of all Europeans hold anti-Semitic views, according to the Anti-Defamation League, and Jews are the largest target of religious hate crimes in America. Boycotting Israel seeks to deny the bond between the Jewish people and the land of Israel. Boycotting Israel takes a page from a centuries-old anti-Semitic playbook. After all, the same tactics were used against Jewish businesses in Europe throughout the 19th and 20th centuries. Christians are learning that boycotting Israel is not just anti-Semitic, it's anti-Christian because it's driven by radicals who hate the Judeo-Christian values that bind together the peoples of the book, Jews and Christians. Judeo-Christian is just another way of saying biblical values. And when we uphold biblical values, we don't fear men, but rather we have a healthy, reverential fear of God Almighty. For example, in the book of Exodus, the midwives were ordered by King Pharaoh to kill all newborn Hebrew baby boys. The midwives disobeyed. Why? Because they feared God. In America today, more people fear the big tech oligarchs in social media than they fear God. The current assaults on personal liberty are tragically unprecedented in American history because society has rejected the Bible as our moral guide. When Judeo-Christian principles are abandoned, evil fills the vacuum. And when biblical Christianity dies, we get communism, fascism, and Nazism. Well, with all the signs of the growing apostasy as predicted in the Bible, there is presently a wonderful move of God that's purely prophetic. Not everybody has eyes to see or appreciate this unique move of God, but I'll try to describe it for you. Many Jews and Christians are fellowshipping together, and I believe this is leading to an end-time scenario. It's a phenomenon that's unprecedented since the days of the early church. And I'm so happy to be a part of this end time move because it's a definite stream of the Holy Spirit prior to the second coming of Jesus. Through pressure and persecution, Jews and Christians are coming together. We're beginning to realize that we must have each other's backs. We may desperately need each other in the future. Meanwhile, we're both working to break down walls we've built, and we're building bridges together. This new movement requires courage, imagination, sensitivity, and patience, as well as a lot of tolerance. But a new movement is emerging with a mindset to acknowledge our differences while at the same time 
appreciate the many issues we have in common. And this is not just another interfaith movement like Christians erroneously trying to have fellowship with Buddhists and pagan religions. The relationship between Jews and Christians is different from all of that. It's unique because we have the same roots and the same God. We both share in appreciation for the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Apostle Paul admonished us that the Jews should be respected because they were entrusted with the very oracles of God. And the Jewish people should be valued because they meticulously preserved the Scriptures as a priceless treasure for mankind. They are our patriarchs and matriarchs. Both religious Jews and evangelical Christians agree that God will fulfill the prophecies of the Hebrew Scriptures. And an integral part of this unfolding plan is the modern regathering of the Jews and the Israelite tribes back to the land promised to their forefathers. What is seen by many as just a Middle East conflict is in fact Israel reclaiming land that was granted long ago by God to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Hebrew prophets, in fact, declared that in preparation for God's kingdom to come on Mount Zion, the house of Jacob will dispossess those who dispossess them. So Christians and Jews are in one accord on this matter of God regathering His people before the final redemption. Both Jews and evangelicals believe that Jerusalem is God's holy city, and so together we can pray for the peace of Jerusalem. But now here's the rub. Among the Jewish people who have suffered so much persecution from Christians in the past, naturally the question comes up, why are these Christians supporting us? What is their real motive? Well, I dare say that most believers who support Israel do so simply because it's the biblical thing to do. Certainly both Jews and Christians share the prophetic expectation of Jeremiah 3.17, which declares, At that time Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered to it in the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. But there's fear in Jewish minds of proselytizing. Now, I found a great quote on the Internet, and although it's not typical, I think it reflects an emerging trend in Jewish acceptance of Christian friendship. It was by a popular Jewish motivational speaker, and he addressed this issue in a remarkably frank email. He said, Unfortunately, a great many Jews are suspicious of Christians who are pro-Israel. These Jews feel there are ulterior Christological reasons for their support of Israel. The Jewish motivational speaker went on to say, I want Christian support of Israel. In fact, he said in some of my speeches, I've said, Jews should welcome and appreciate Christian support until Jesus comes. And when he comes, we will recognize him. As a Jew, he said, I can't think of a better deal. He went on to explain, if Jesus came back, of course, we would have to receive him. In the meantime, he wrote, I just never judge people's motives. I only judge their behavior. How they treat me as a Jew is all I want to know, not why. However, he added, Many Jews are more concerned with motives and not with the decency of these pro-Israel Christians. 
Well, I want to emphasize that Jews and Christians do share a common expectation of the Messianic future. The biblical prophets described a restored and resplendent Israel as the world's premier nation, with King Messiah ruling from God's holy hill. In the past, both Jews and Christians have focused on our differences regarding this vision. But now, by the grace of God, we seem to be focusing on the common vision. And rather than denying our expectation of Jesus' return, many Jews have a let's wait and see attitude. In the meantime, they're also learning that the anti-Semitism of Christianity's past was never taught or sanctioned by Jesus. For example, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 36 to 40, Jesus directly answered a question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, quoting the Torah. He said, this is the great and first commandment and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He said, on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So my friends, you and I are living between the first and second comings of Jesus. He prophesied that perilous times will come with pestilences, earthquakes, wars, being the beginning of labor pains. He warned that lawlessness will abound and many people will be deceived before his second coming. All the shakings going on are meant to wake us up spiritually and prepare us for his return. And we're walking in ways we've never walked before. After the catching away of the completed church, God will again turn to the nation of Israel in a special way to restore the Davidic kingdom and the return of King Messiah to Jerusalem. That's why the Almighty is inspiring Jews and Christians to fellowship. Plus the fact that we need to have each other's backs because we worship the same God. Jews should not be threatened by Christians cozying up to Israel. Israel is never going to lose its identity as a Jewish nation. And when Jesus returns as Yeshua, the Lion of Judah, He will reveal Himself to Israel as King Messiah, just as disguised Joseph, the governor of Egypt, revealed himself to his brethren. And so Israel will become the chief of nations with Jerusalem as God's headquarters, fulfilling prophecies about Messiah in Psalm 2. There's much more to share with you at our website, exploits.tv, where you can watch our free video library and see news on current and world events regarding both the nation of Israel and the church. Our ministry is called Exploits based upon Daniel 11.32 that declares the people who know their God will be strong and carry out exploits. In the meantime, I'd love to engage with you on social media. And don't forget to download our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app to view all of our videos on your phones or tablets. The grace of the Lord be with you. Until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. The Lord is at hand. Maranatha. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Shalom. I'm Christine Darg.